0: For those who are are new and those who maybe have not been here for a while, our our method on Sunday mornings when it comes to our teaching is we go verse by verse through different books of the Bible. Some books we get through relatively quickly, um, like Jonah, a couple weeks. Others, like the Gospel of John, took us about 14 months. And we currently are in to me, one of the most fascinating books of the Bible. And I say that similar like I say this is one of my favorite verses, which I say almost every Sunday. Um, the Bible itself is fascinating. It's full of so many amazing stories, so much um, just practical um, information, and it's, it's life-changing. Um, Daniel is is a book that is fascinating for several reasons. Um, one, it contains a lot of um, stories that we remember as kids. You know, the whole, um, like we did last week, Daniel in a lion's den. Uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And so it's, it's full of all these really cool stories that we may have grown up with. But once you get to the first half, like the first six chapters of, of the book of Daniel, it's kind of this autobiography-type history of, of Daniel. And then when we switch over into chapter 7, it transitions away from this kind of history, um, autobiographical-type information of Daniel, and it goes into prophecy. And I just want to read just a couple things, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray in, in a moment, and we're going to read the whole chapter, and we're going to kind of talk about it. But, but there might be some here today that um, y- y- your first thought is, "Why prophecy? Why talk about it?" Um, let me read this verse to you. Um, these two verses, and maybe this. Whenever those questions, like why why should we spend time even talking about prophecy? Um, maybe this might be the first thought you have, and 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 these are familiar. This is very familiar. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this, these two verses that Paul wrote when he was writing a letter to Timothy, who was this young pastor that had Paul had been mentoring. He, he, he reminds Timothy that that all scripture is profitable. And if we believe that this is God's word and we, we believe that we're supposed to study this, and then we have to grab a hold of what Paul says. And and when he says all scripture, that means everything, everything from page one to page, the last page, it's profitable. There's something in there. Now, sometimes we have to dig a little bit deeper and dig a little bit harder. And sometimes um, we can find stories that the application's pretty easy to find and others we have to kind of work through it. Um, I'm I'm gonna be upfront, transparent, and honest with you guys. Prophecy is not my strong suit. Okay? Um, if if you all think I have the keys to unlock all of this, I'm sorry. Um, we're gonna do the best we can. We're gonna we're gonna make what I believe God's called us to do. Here's one of the things that it, what scares me about prophecy is this. When you get into the book of Revelation, which we'll, we'll touch on in the next few weeks, the very last chapter, um, in chapter 22, verse 18, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away, from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life, in the holy city, which are described in this book. And so if I add or if I take away, I'm in trouble. And so we just got to pray that we hit the mark. All right? So so let's, um, let's read all of Daniel chapter 7, and then um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to see what we can come up with. All right? So Daniel chapter 7. Starting in verse 1, as I told you in an Instagram post and on Facebook, when you read this, it almost sounds like we're reading the Chronicles of Narnia or something, okay? So here we go. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and the visions of his head as they lay in his bed. When he wrote down the dream and the sum of the matter, verse 2 says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another the first is like a lion and had wings had eagle's wings then as i looked at its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it And behold, another beast, a second beast like a bear. It was raised up on the side, on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Verse 7. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces. And stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And had ten horns. I consider the horns. And behold, there came up among them another horn. A little horn. Before which three of the horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. And a mouth speaking great things. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head were like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were open. to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdoms or his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Verse 15. And as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the vision of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for, uh, for, kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped. That was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on his head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, prevailed over them, until the ancient days came. The judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of the kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. It shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall Think of the damn or the change that and shall think to change the times of the law and the law, and they shall be given to his hand, for a time, times, and a half time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the king's kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. The kingdom shall be everlasting kingdom, and all dominions are sure, shall serve him and obey him. Verse 28. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray. Lord, um, this morning, um, as... We hopefully do every Sunday morning. We, we come to you asking that you uh, do a great work. And Lord, I, I ask this morning that you be with us as we try and wrap our minds around this prophecy. Lord, I pray that you be with me. And uh, I pray that, that everything that we say, everything that we do is, is faithful to, to your word. Um, Lord, I'm overly aware of what's written at the very end of the book of Revelation where you command us not to add to the prophecy nor to take away. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we we are faithful to that. Um, Lord, I humbly come before you full transparent saying I don't have the answers and so Lord I just ask that I be a mouthpiece for you um, so open up our eyes open up our ears and penetrate our hearts it's in your son's holy precious name we pray amen okay so here we have Daniel 6 and we're gonna have a, a few slides in, in a moment but what's interesting about the book of Daniel beyond just the whole switch and transition here if you recall, um, I, I told you before that Daniel chapter two through Daniel seven. So this is the last chapter where it's actually written in Aramaic. Aramaic was the um, the language of the Gentiles of that day, and, and so if you recall, going back to um, the second chapter, there's this, and we're going to be kind of paralleling chapter two and chapter seven in a moment. But this is the history of the Gentiles. Um, Daniel, unlike any other book in, in the Old Testament and New Testament, um, it's, this, it's the only time that we really look and focus in on a Gentile history. Basically, the rest of Scripture, before and after, whenever we talk about it, whenever we look at it, we look at it through a lens of, of the Jews, of, of the Israelites, of God's chosen people. But here we, we transition away, and, and we have this Gentile history. What's also different about the book of Daniel is it's not written in chronological order. Okay, because if you remember um, Daniel chapter 1, he's a young boy, 12, 13 years old, taken away from mom and dad. They're captured, and Babylon becomes this empire. Um, Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Chapter 3, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, is, actually chapter 4 is written by King Nebuchadnezzar, and it's his autobiography. Um, and so this is when his pride gets a hold of him and God humbles him. We're going to talk about that in a moment here. And then chapter 5 is the, the, the pretty famous phrase that we get, the handwriting's on the wall, right? So Belshazzar, who is the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, is on the throne. And we have this whole party going on. He's he's mocking God. He's using these these treasures that were taken from the that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple years ago. And and they're they're using them as as plates and and cups for, for their wine. And they're mocking God. And God delivers this hand in the wall, which is the judgment for the Babylonians and the judgment for Belshazzar. And that time, at the very end of chapter 5, we see Babylon fall. Chapter 6 picks up with the Persians, the Medes, controlling this area, the next empire. And that's when we have, remember, Darius befriends Daniel. Daniel's throwing the lions then, and all that stuff. So, last week we talked about Darius, we talked about the Medes and the Persians, and now all of a sudden we're in in Daniel chapter 7, and it goes back and begins to talk about Belshazzar. And so, chapter 7 and 8, which we'll look at next week, those chapters take place between chapter 4 and 5 in the book of Daniel. So King Nebuchadnezzar had passed. It had been about nine years since he had passed. And this begins, this vision comes to Daniel at the very beginning of Belshazzar's reign. Okay? So that we see that kind of in the first couple of verses. Verse 2, as this vision begins to unleash, he he talks about how um, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Uh, There's a lot of imagery used in this passage. And um, and so I think sometimes we have to stop and say, well, what is that? What is the great sea? Is he talking about the Mediterranean Sea? Um, If you go into the book of Revelation, Revelation 17, chapter 17, verse 15, we come to realize that that when he talks about the great sea, w- what they're referring to is great nations. Okay, so it's not just ocean; these beasts aren't literally coming out of an ocean, but it's this imagery that that these great nations are going to arise. And so we get into this, and, and we begin to see this um, these beasts that come out. So verse um, the first one that we see in verse four is, or the is this lion that had wings, eagle's wings. Some of these are, are easy for us to understand. Um, Anthony, I think there's a, there's a picture that shows all four of our beasts on them, right? Yeah, so, so we have these four beasts that are identified in the first um, seven verses or so. And the first one we see is this, this lion with wings. Um, what's interesting about this lion with wings is a couple of things. One, we, we know from from our history, that the um, lion with wings was the actual emblem of the Babylonian Empire. If you were to go to the museum in, in um, Britain today, there's artifacts um, of the gate that have a winged lion. And so that's pretty e- easy for us to identify. What's, what I think is interesting, and, and um, if you guys recall when we talked about um, Nebuchadnezzar in, in, in chapter 4, Um, I I allude to the fact that I I think there's a good possibility that when we get to heaven, we will have a chance to meet King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, uh, And and the reason I say that is, if you recall back in that story, King Nebuchadnezzar was full of pride, right? And Daniel warned him of that pride. Um, He had another vision. In that vision, Daniel warns him of his pride and gives him that chance. And there's a full calendar year goes by, and all of a sudden, the king starts pounding his chest again. And just at that moment... He recalled what Daniel had said, and and then basically for the next seven years, he's insane. Remember, he goes around like an animal, like a beast. He he eats off the ground. Um, It talks about his hair growing long. The very end of that, he finally comes to grip. He realizes, and the the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 4, that he turned his eyes back to heaven. And when he turned his eyes back to heaven, his sanity returned. That's when we kind of use that phrase that that God's or that man's pride destroys, but God's glory restores. Okay? And so we see that. And so when we look at this, now when we piece that story in with this particular passage of scripture, um, I find it interesting as they're describing that beast, it talks about how these wings were plucked from the beast, from the, from the lion. Um, almost as if the idea of of, of Nebuchadnezzar, that, that, that humbling. And these beasts were taken and then allowed him to stand anew like a man. And a new heart was given to him. And so I think the first one is easier for us to identify as, as, um, as the Babylonians. The second beast we, we see there is this bear. Okay, So he describes this bear. And, and, and there's not necessarily a whole lot of description other than this bear comes out and he's got three ribs hanging out of his mouth. We'll describe those in a moment. The third one. So they, they get like progressively weirder. Okay? And so we got, this, we got this third animal that rolls up, comes out of this, this sea, and it's a leopard with um with wings on his back and four heads. Okay, so now we're getting into Narnia. Right? It's getting weird. And then, then this fourth beast arrives. And what's interesting about this fourth beast, um, is all these other the the three previous beasts, like Daniel has a way of describing the beast, right? I mean he, he describes a lion, he describes a bear, he describes a leopard, but also this fourth beast he can't come up. He, there's nothing that he can describe it with. There's there's no there's no animal that he can kind of attach it to. And he begins to talk about these these horns, these ten horns. And he begins to talk about these these teeth like iron. All right, So we have these four beasts that we see in these first few verses here in Daniel. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to go back. This next slide reminds us of Daniel chapter 2 and this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Okay, This is the same slide we used when we, when we did this. And if you recall, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, this statue, and, and Daniel's the only one that can interpret it. And in this we see it's this statue of a man, and, and it has different metals that are identified. The, the head was made of gold, the, the middle the chest, torso section was made of silver, the waist bronze, and then the legs of iron. And then the bottom part was the mixture of, of iron and clay. And when we did this, when we talked about this, we identified this as, as um, relating to these empires that would arise. Now, this is what's fascinating. This prophecy that Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar had some 2,600 years ago, is still going on today. Um, Much of this has already taken place. Um, As Nebuchadnezzar is having this dream, it's all in front of them. Um, And Daniel's telling them. And and so we see this idea, the head of gold, Daniel tells them, it's Babylon. It's, it's you, that you, Nebuchadnezzar, you are this king. And, and as we talked about, if you recall this, we talked about how massive, how great the Babylonian empire was. Uh, the strongest empire the world has known. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the strongest um, king, the strongest leader the world has known. He was the absolute authoritarian of the day. Part of that dream, though, was that empire would, would, would soon end. And as we talked about with Belshazzar, the, the Medes and the Persians would come together and, and um, would unite. And part of this idea of the two arms, uh, many people will tell you, many commentators will say that it was this alliance between the Medes and the Persians. And if, if you recall, uh, we mentioned historically, we know that Cyrus, who, who created this alliance, Cyrus was mixed. His, his father was Persian and his mother was Mede. And so he's able to, because of his heritage, bring these two groups together. Um, over time, the Persians... Become much stronger, but but we have that, and then then eventually they would be overtaken by the Greek Empire, which was the waist, and then the legs, and sometimes people are tempted to call we have like five sections, but really we have, we only have four empires: the Iron, and we could look at like a Roman one and then a Roman two. So that's the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's try and look where we can put these things together. So. The next slide we have, we see the head. And that 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 head of of Babylon is represented in that same lion. As we mentioned, the the theme that they had, the, the, the correlation between the two is is somewhat easy for us to, to see. The second one, this this midsection, the, and the bear, is the Persian. Um, and, and this is what we know about this Persian Empire, they had a military of about two and a half million soldiers. Think about that. Two and a half million soldiers. I mean, it was strong. It was powerful. But it was so massive that it took a while to move. Um, these three ribs that are in the mouth of the bear, um, most believe that those three ribs were... Um, Signify the, the first three nations that they overtook, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and then the, the Lydians. And the next one we have is the waste. And it was identified as being uh, the Greek empire. You notice the leopard, and, and most of us realize that leopards were fast. And when we get into verse 8, um, it begins to talk about the, the how fast this animal was that it that it moved so fast that it barely even touched the ground. Um, and this we believe identifies with, with Greece because um, we have this Rome or the, the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, his his military base was much smaller. You know, whereas the um, the Persians had a military base of two point five million. Alexander the Great began with about 30,000 troops. And because it was so much smaller, they were so much faster, and and he was such a smart person, and he was able to conquer the world, conquer the known world in 12 years. By the age of 28, there was nothing left for him to conquer. How amazing, you guys think about how amazing that is? Uh, History tells us That um, because he ran out of things to conquer, he just fell into a drunken stupor. By the age of 29, he would cry himself to sleep because he had nothing left to do. Where did the four heads come from? Well, as Alexander the Great dies at the age of 29, he had no descendants to pass on his throne to. And so, um, again, Tradition tells us that on his deathbed, they, began to, they went to him saying, who, who gets the kingdom? Who, who takes over? Who's next in charge? And he simply said, give it to the strong. And so that kingdom was divided up between the four top generals. And then we get to the last one, this last beast. Um, and folks, I, I mean, I don't know. This is the bike. The, I don't know. If you go and Google search, like, fourth beast, you'll see all sorts of weird stuff. Um, and we have this picture, um, and, and Daniel paints it as this undescribable beast that it would just devour and destroy everything. Um, in there, he, 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 the correlation we can make here is, um, is twofold. One, we, we see, if, if you recall, those, the legs were made of iron. Here in Daniel's dream, he talks about the teeth being made of iron. Um, The the next picture, and if you notice there's the ten horns, and I think the next picture, we just kind of zoom in on the bottom of the um, statue of Nebuchadnezzar, you have the ten toes. And so you have this correlation between the two, and, and those ten horns and these ten toes represent the coming Roman alliance of ten nations that would come. And so we have these things, these beasts. We read these first eight verses, and, um, and then in verse eight we, we see this, when he talks about the horns, and in the midst of this, these horns, there's this eleventh horn. It's referred to here as the little horn. Arises. It comes up. Sorry, there's no pictures of horns. Um, and this little horn that we read about in verse eight says here, um, "I consider the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the man, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And this little horn is the one that we." often referred to as the Antichrist. And so we have this vision, right? Of Dan- and Daniel has this vision. And you know what? One of the things I, I like so often that we see in Scripture is when there's like a pause, right? I mean, like, you're in the midst of the story, and boom, there's a pause in the middle of it. And that's what we have here in verses 10, or 9 and 10. That So you're, you're these days, big ocean, big um, beast with wings and heads and horns, and then boom, it stops. And let's read this pause, if you will. Verse 9 says, And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. And his throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out of from before him, and a thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So we have this picture here. The very beginning there says, "As I looked, thrones were placed." So we have this picture of thrones. We. The number is not identified here, but if you go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, you see the 24 elders that are seated at the 24 thrones. And some will say, well, why doesn't he mention 24 thrones? Why doesn't he mention the elders? To understand that you have to go read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And when you read that, Paul tells us the mysteries revealed. The 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 mystery, those 24 elders, it was unknown to Daniel. Those 24 elders represent the church, right? The church hadn't been created yet. And so here we have this this picture, and you just, just think in the midst of everything horrified, all of a sudden Daniel sees these thrones being set up. And then comes the Ancient of Days. That Ancient of Days, um, you may want to underline your Bible because we're going to see that played out a couple times. The Ancient of Days, I believe, is a reference to God the Father. Okay? God the Father. God the Father takes his seat. And part of the reason why I say that you have this description of, of um, his uh, clothing being as white as wool, his hair and his head being like pure wool. So this, this real radiant, white, pure. And so the Ancient of Days takes his seat surrounded by other thrones. And, and think about it, like he, he, he talks about those who are serving him, thousands of thousands. And then those who are there in the midst, 10,000 times 10,000. It's a huge ordeal. And then uh, verse 11 to 13 says, And then I looked because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What does that mean? I don't know. Um, I, I think what is being alluded to here is that um, as we get into this, we begin to get into the tribulation. And, and I believe, as I understand it, that some of, or we get to go, we go into the millennial, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And I believe what's being said there is, is some of these are allowed to extend through some of that reign. Um, not all, but I, I believe three of the four nations may have some representation there. Verse 13 says, And I saw the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. I don't know that son of man. Because there we see the arrival of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's why earlier when I said we have God the Father in the Ancient of Days, I think here we see the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, arriving. He said he came to the Ancient of Days, so he comes to his Father. It was presented before him, to, and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all the peoples and nations and language would serve him. And so we have this beautiful picture where it talks about this millennial reign of Christ. And, and what's amazing, what's great about this is is for those who believe, it just keeps going and going and going, that that Christ reigns forever, and we're with him for eternity. And so we have this whole vision. And at the end of it, Daniel's perplexed, and probably rightfully so. And I love this about this. This is what I, one of the things I love about Scripture. I say this very often. Is I love how this... this um, we, we, we see how they don't know everything, and that's okay. And so Daniel, um, um, is, he's, he's anxious, he's troubled. And the visions obviously are alarming him. And so verse 16 says that he goes and he asks someone next to him. I don't know if that was an angel. I don't know who it was, but he asked for some clarification. Verse 17 says, The four great beasts are four kingdoms who shall arise out of the earth. This is what's kind of neat. When you parallel this prophecy with Nebuchadnezzar's dream, so Daniel's dream and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, they're running the same track, aren't they? They're dealing with the same overall scope of these different nations that are going to rise. But they're described much differently, aren't they? In Nebuchadnezzar, there's a statue, and there's all these precious metals, right? And, and when we think of that, we, we think that's the way that man perceives our government. That's the way man perceives our, our, our own empires, our own nations. These precious things, these, these good things, these great things, these strong things. But Daniel's dream, these nations, we see God's perspective. And God views these as beasts. Beasts things that destroy. And so he gets to verse 19, and, and with everything, Daniel wants, he's confused about the fourth beast. And he's just like, help me understand this. It says, then I just desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with his feet the difference between this fourth empire and the previous three. The difference between the Roman Empire and the others was they just destroyed. We can watch some of the more modern movies that kind of paint, I think, a pretty good picture, like Gladiator, that picture the, the violence of the Roman Empire. See, when you think about King Nebuchadnezzar, like when they, they went and they would conquer. But remember, Daniel was not a Babylonian. Like, like Nebuchadnezzar would take things that would become useful for him. He, he took and he preserved part of their, these other cultures. Uh, the Persian Cyrus was known to go and help rebuild these civilizations. He would help them rebuild temples, not just the Jews, but like all the foreign areas they would conquer. They would help, he would help them rebuild and they would use these things that would become useful for him. Um, Alexander the Great would do much the same. But we get to the Roman Empire, and they just destroy. In fact, it's under the Roman Empire that Israel itself is destroyed. They would devour. And then he goes on and asks about this horn. Verse 20 says, and about the ten horns that were on its head. And the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell. The horns had eyes. The horn had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, that seemed greater than its companions. This Antichrist arrives. And it seems, based on what we read here, that as he begins to show himself, that seven of the ten nations follow him right away, like quickly. And three seem to hold out, but but they can't prevail. I think sometimes when we picture this Antichrist in our minds, we think of some guy with a black cape, maybe with a little handlebar mustache, and we think of this really sinister like person. Um, you know what we have to understand? That, that this Antichrist, from a human perspective, is going to be Pretty amazing. Like he's he's going to be um, eloquent. I, I read a commentator. Let me. I, I wrote this down. He he made this statement about him. If I can find it in my notes, he said this. Um, From a human perspective, the Antichrist will be incredible with the intellect of Thomas Jefferson, the leadership skills of Lincoln, the global strategy of Nixon, the oratory skills of Churchill. The iron fist of Joseph Stalin and the charisma of Kennedy. He will be humanly impressive. Like that is a good picture of what the Antichrist will be. Like he will be able to control the imagination of the people. When, when you go into the, um, into the book of Revelation and we begin to, where he's further described, um, we, we read in there about how there comes a point more than likely at the, at the midway point. In, in, in this passage here, verse 25 says, at the very end it says, um, when he's describing the time, it says there, time, times, and a half time. That way of reckoning that time was, when it says time, singular, that, that would equate one year, times, plural, would be two years, and half a time would be half a year. And so in there, it refers to this idea about three and a half years, what we would consider the midpoint of the tribulation, he begins to reveal himself. And, and so those first years, as he reveals himself initially, like everyone flocks to him, the whole world turns to him. Now, m- my belief is this. This is where Chad Clement rests. I am a pre-trip guy. I, I believe this. I believe the church will be raptured before the tribulation begins. Okay, so I I don't believe, I believe everyone who knows Christ will be up there. Okay? And so I don't believe the church is here. I don't believe believers are here when this happens. And I believe that people will just flock to this Antichrist. Now, there's, there's, in this, it talks about these saints here. That these saints, and and, and who are they referring to as as saints in verse 25? It begins to wear out the saints. Those saints are the Jews. And during this time of tribulation, there will be some who will come to know Christ. And so there will be those people. And at that halfway point, at that three-and-a-half-year point, the Antichrist fully reveals himself to the point where he marches into the temple. A, a statue is resurrected of him, and he begins to demand that they worship him. We also know in, in Revelation that, that the, there's an assassination attempt on this on this Antichrist. And in Revelation, it's we, we can say, well, I thought that only God controls life and death. In, in Revelation, it appears as if this um, Antichrist is killed and brought back to life. Was it just like a really bad wound, and maybe he came close to death and not exactly? That? I don't know. All I know is it's enough to make everyone think he was dead, and he came back to life. Um, many commentators will say it's at that point that he is um, as he comes back to life, that Satan himself indwells the Antichrist. I know this is all freaky stuff and weird stuff. But at that midpoint of tribulation, there's this seismic shift in the Antichrist. And they begin to attack and they begin to pursue these saints and they defeat them. So you read this, and a lot of us don't like prophecy because we think of how bad it is. We think of all these weird things, and we think of how, how awful it will be. In those last three and a half years, for those who know Christ, it will be horrific. Revelation 1910 it tells us why prophecy is so important. Because it gives us a clear image of Christ. And as we read Revelation, we realize that the Antichrist and the beast, and in Revelation, the beast Satan's referred to as the dragon, he doesn't win, that Christ prevails. And we see it in this. And, and as Daniel's vision, he says, listen, he's got to wear out the saints, um, all that stuff. Verse 26 says, but the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away. As you read about those other beasts, it was one of those key words that we don't maybe miss is as we identify those other beasts, it says that dominion was given to them those empires thought they took dominion but God himself allowed those empires to rise and fall just like he allows this antichrist to come up and he allows this antichrist to do these things and then at the end of those 7 years judgment arrives the books are open and God quits playing games he wins The dominion is taken away from him. The greatest of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people and the saints of the Most High. Verse 28 ends. See, this high point, and it's almost as if there's a return in Daniel. As he sees this, as he begins to understand what takes place, it ends with Daniel's. He says, As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept this matter in my heart. The countenance of Daniel changed. I don't know exactly why. Um, I think we can speculate. I think he saw things that he didn't understand completely. Um, he knows that Christ wins. He knows that, that he will reign forever and ever. So he knows at the end of the day he wins. And that's good, right? Right? But Daniel also saw all the horror that led up to the victory. And I'm sure that weighed on his soul and his spirit heavily. In some regards, I think that for us as believers, maybe you have that family member or a close friend who absolutely does not know Christ as their Savior. And you know the Bible says. You you know that Jesus himself, John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. When we're faced with that, and we know that we know the only way to heaven is through Christ, but yet they don't understand. They don't get it. They won't accept it. And in our hearts, like, we begin to break, right? Hopefully, Maybe there's those moments even when you're at a funeral of somebody that you know never came to know Christ. And I think some of that is Daniel there. He sees he sees the glorious outcome, but he sees the pain and the horror. This may not be one of those uplifting Sundays. I would encourage you to go home today sometime this evening reread Daniel chapter 7 and maybe over the next couple of weeks maybe you begin to read the book of Revelation alongside where we're at we're we're going to be in prophecy for several weeks now there's some exciting things I think Daniel chapter 9 coming up I think Daniel chapter 9 is one of the most incredible chapters in all of scripture now, I, we probably won't be able to get it in one week we'll probably have to divide it up into two one of the things I think prophecy does for us, though, is it, it, it reminds us that we can't live lives with heads buried in sand. This is real, folks. Like these fictitious beasts that we see, those are symbols. Those are, 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 are pictures. But heaven and hell are real. There will come a time when Christ returns, his second coming, and, and the church will be raptured to him. And there'll be a void here on earth that will be filled by this Antichrist. But I'll always go back to John 14, 6. Whether it's here or in the tribulation, if you don't know Christ, the outcome's the same. It's hell. For those who've never accepted, like I pray. Like I pray like today, like now, like you quit fighting. I mean, you might have been like Nebuchadnezzar and you were running from it. You were, you were, you were hiding from it. Your, your pride had consumed you so much. Quit running. For those who do know Christ, maybe this, maybe this serves as something that begins to light a fire in our souls to start sharing the gospel with other people, to tell our friends about him, Heaven and hell are real, and we need to be real about it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for um, your word. And Even though there's times when it might not seem clear, and as we read stories of beasts, as Paul said, all scripture is profitable. And so, Lord, I don't want you to take my words but I want you to take your words this morning and burn them on our hearts. Lord, I pray that um, you meet us where we're at, that you convict us where we need to be convicted and you change us where we need to be changed. Lord, I pray that you tenderize us today. Sometimes we get scared of of telling somebody about Jesus and our fear is just rejection, (laughs) Maybe somebody laughing at us or getting perturbed with us. After reading this vision that Daniel had, that fear seems a little small in comparison to the things that are going to occur. Lord, pray that you'd be with some this morning that maybe, maybe they don't know Christ as their Savior. Maybe they've been in church their whole lives. Maybe... This is their first time. It doesn't matter. Church won't save us. Only you will. We just ask Holy Spirit that you um, that you do a great work today. It's in your sons' name we pray. Amen.